Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. I uh, have to have to say that I love heist films. Um, love them. I just I love how they. I like the Italian Job. Uh, great film, which I always I can't think I can't not think of Ross and Judy Patterson because they both they have two minis in their family, and I just imagine that if anything goes missing from the church, it's going to be Ross and Judy low riding in their minis around town. I guarantee that's the case. Um, like, Italian Job's great. I, I love the Oceans movies. I love, I love kind of what happens in those. And I, and I, I can't help but think of uh, the, the, the kind of the old grumpy guy uh, who likes to fly under the radar, Saul, in that movie. Uh, that's Brett Richmond. I mean, it just is. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, and, and, then, and then, like, uh, another movie. I love, I love Fast Five. Um, I just have to say, that's definitely me. Like, Vin Diesel modeled himself after me. Let's just be honest. Um, that's true. I heard a loud laugh. That's true. That's a true statement. Um, and then, uh, like, uh, uh, Now You See Me. Uh, great, great movie. And I just, I mean, it's totally Kyle. Like, he talks fast, and he's, like, just pulling stuff, like, a new kid out of nowhere. Like, it's just, it just happens. Like, it's just, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. It just kind of goes. But, but like, all of those movies are great. I love the heist movies because heist movies, they're kind of a subgenre of, of crime films, and, and they include, like, a plan and then the execution of this plan and then the reveal where these likable criminal friends kind of pull off acquiring something of great value that, with such spectacle that it, that it is almost unbelievable, the reason I love heist films so much, and I, th I think because it resonates, because in the kingdom of this world, in the world's kingdom, the resurrection is the transcendent heist story that reveals sin and death to be stripped and powerless with no recourse for those loyal to Jesus. That's what the resurrection is to the world's powers and authorities. It's the greatest heist film ever because, because of what Jesus did and changed everything. Some, some, some quotes that I've heard about the resurrection of Jesus. One is, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. The resurrection gives my life meaning and direction and the opportunity to start over no matter what my circumstances. The cross is the victory. The resurrection is the triumph. The resurrection is the public display of the victory, the triumph of the crucified one. See, we, we remember today the thing that, that our lives are dependent on. Our lives are dependent on the fact that Jesus raised from the dead and that we have hope and we have peace and we have joy and we have a future. And no matter what happens in the, this lifetime, that, that Jesus is alive. 
And so in Mark chapter 16, we, we finish off our, our study of, of the Gospel of Mark, uh, of the Gospel of Mark this morning. And um, we're gonna start in, verse, in chapter 16, verse one, and it says this, it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint the dead body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And so, and so what I think is interesting is, is last week we saw in the Gospel of Mark you have, you have Jesus being crucified and really the only ones who stuck with him through the end were these women. All the rest of the disciples scattered, ran away and they were afraid and didn't wanna be seen. Yet, yet these women stayed with Jesus through the very end and they're not only the last to leave the foot of the cross but they're also the first to show up at the tomb. And their expectation as they're heading to the tomb is that they're going to find Jesus' dead body, and that's confirmed by their intent with these kind of burial oils and spices that they're taking, because, because of the Sabbath the night before, there, there just wasn't, there, there wasn't time to, to prepare Jesus' body for burial, and so they were going to do their traditional things that they did. And it's interesting, in, in their desire to do this and honor Jesus because of what Jesus meant to them, they had forgotten, they hadn't really made a plan. They had forgotten about the fact that there's this huge stone that is at the entrance of the tomb. And so as they're walking to the, to the place that Jesus was laid, they start to ask each other, well, what are we gonna do? I mean, hopefully there's somebody there, there's a crew there that can move the stone so we can get into the tomb. And then in, in verse four, they kind of have a surprising development. And, and so it says here in verse four, it says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. You know, it's interesting to me that, that scripture never talks about exactly when the stone was rolled away, but we, but we hear in all the gospels that, that when, when people arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. And I think it's interesting, and I've never thought about this before, but I wonder when the stone was rolled away, and I wonder when Jesus actually raised to life and left the tomb. Because we know from, from the rest of the gospels and acts that Jesus was not dependent on doorways. Didn't matter that the stone was rolled away. Jesus was alive and he was, he was already gone. And it's interesting because I think the stone being rolled away is actually for us, not for Jesus. And think about this just for a second. That when we have these walls, when we have these stones, when we have these barriers in front of us, God doesn't need them moved. He can work through that. God moves them for our benefit for our faith to grow, but God doesn't need stones rolled away because the body of Jesus was already gone. And, and so these women get to the tomb and, and the stone is rolled away and they, they decide to go into the tomb, which it's interesting that the bravery of these women as opposed to like a lot of, I mean, I don't know, maybe when you were little, did you go to cemeteries to be scared? Like 
And I just, I mean, these women were pretty brave, a lot braver than anyone else I know to go into the empty tomb because something is different. But they go in and what they find in there is, as Mark describes, a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side of the on the right side, inside of the tomb. And it's interesting because it mentions that he's sitting, which in, in, that was the traditional posture for teaching or speaking with authority. And he was wearing a white robe, which was typically what a heavenly visitor would be wearing throughout the Old Testament. So it would be something that, that they would remember. Mark uses this human language to describe a heavenly visitor that these women interact with in the tomb. And, and it's interesting because the women, they're, they're, they're alarmed, and their reaction, I think, was more than just the spooky surroundings. It was that it, they, their reaction was actually consistent with how people reacted when there was an, a heavenly message delivered by a heavenly messenger. And so then in verse six, we read the message that this young man dressed in this white robe had to say, and he says this, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And, and, so, and so here the message is that Jesus is alive, he's not dead, he's, he's risen from the dead. The announcement of Jesus' resurrection is not an end in itself, but the basis for action, that life, discipleship, and the kingdom of God will continue to go on. And, and I love in that moment that, that, that this messenger says, go tell the disciples and Peter would be included in that group designation, but he says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter, because Peter made such a public failure just before this. Peter blows it, and, and Peter denies Jesus publicly, and I don't even know if at this point Peter even showed up with the rest of the disciples. He had to be full of shame and embarrassment. I would probably avoid people too if I were Peter. I love that the message from God the Father is to go and tell the disciples of Jesus and make sure Peter hears it too. And what that tells us is no matter what has happened, no matter what we've done, no matter how we failed, no matter how bad it is, that there's still forgiveness and restoration. And, and, and I think one of the things that, that this angel says, this heavenly messenger says to the women is, is, is he talks about Jesus who was crucified, who is raised from the dead. He's not here and that he wants to meet them in Galilee. And, and the phrase that, that they use is, is just as he told you, which I think is a really powerful statement about Jesus and the things that Jesus said, and we'll come back to that in a second. And so the, the reaction to, to this message in verse eight is this, it says, and they went out and fled from the tomb for, for, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
Here's where the Gospel of Mark ends in the earliest manuscripts that we have. And, and Mark was written first of the four Gospels. And, and I think it's possible that later on, maybe there were scribes uh, translating and, and copying the Gospel of Mark who were kind of uncomfortable because that seems like an uncomfortable ending to the Gospel, doesn't it? That it just ends with, with this message of Jesus being raised from the dead and then a message to go tell his disciples and Peter that he's gonna meet him in Galilee just like he told them. And then it, 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 it ends with, with these women going away astonished and, and trembling because they were afraid. But, but it does make sense because there was something very unexpected. They did not expect that to happen that morning. I mean, more surprising than when like you grab a glass and you think it's, it's water and it's milk. Like more surprising than that even because that's really shocking when that happens. Uh, but, but it was so surprising, and, and so they go, and, and we know from history that the message did get to the disciples. The other gospels talk about how the women did go and tell the disciples, and Peter got the message that was given to, to him. We know that it happened, but, but I think Mark tends to leave things this way almost as a cliffhanger because here's the reality for us is that we know Christ is risen. What are we gonna do with it? What are we gonna do with the fact that Jesus is alive and living today and he is savior and he is king? What are we going to do with that? Again, I love, I love how, I love how the, the messenger says, just as he told you, just as he told you that, that he was going to die when he walked with you, and just as he told you that he was gonna raise from the dead, he, he raised from the dead, which established his reign and his rule. Because Jesus, when he walked with the disciples the whole time, Jesus regularly told them that he was gonna give up his life, and he regularly told them that he would not stay dead. And if those things are true, then what else that Jesus said is true? If the resurrection is true, then what else is true that Jesus told us? And I wanna give you three things this morning that are true that Jesus said. Number one is this, that Jesus told us that he is the Christ, the Savior and King God in human flesh. In the very beginning of Mark, in verse one of chapter one, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And later in Mark 14, when Jesus is being questioned in the house of a high priest, the high priest asks him, he says, are you the Christ, the Messiah? And Jesus' response in verse 62 is, is he says, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of, of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And so Jesus says that he is the Messiah, the Savior and the King and that Jesus is enough to forgive you and I of our sins because he is the only Savior. He is the only opportunity for forgiveness of our sins. Second thing that Jesus said that, 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 is, that, that he told us that is true is, is that Jesus told us how to follow him, how to be a disciple. In chapter 834, Jesus, it says, Mark writes, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. In other words, calling the crowd an invitation and application for all people, not just a select few, but for anyone. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, if anyone has a desire 
If anyone has an intent to follow me, then this is what they must do. Calling to the crowd, making sure that the invitation is for everyone, and then saying, if you want to follow me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and so really, when we think about this, what is discipleship? It's not behavior modification, but internal transformation. Discipleship is not knowledge transfer, but it is applied truth. Discipleship is not spiritual multiplication, but it is spiritual maturity. And does, discipleship does not exist without active evangelism. Discipleship's not a thing unless it's being shared with others, if it's being told to others, because that's what discipleship is. You see, discipleship is the absolute exchange of your values, self-denial, for Jesus' values. It is acting upon those values, knowing but disregarding the consequences, taking up our cross, driven by a persistent pursuit of Jesus as king. And when Jesus is king of our life, it is evidenced by compassionate and active evangelism. If Jesus is king of your life, of my life, then we will be compelled to compassionately share him with those around us. That is, that is what discipleship is. You see, you see, discipleship is not a care group. It's not an accountability group. It's not a Bible experts meeting, a book club, or a church service. All of those things can be good and are maybe part of growing as a disciple, but they are not discipleship. Discipleship starts with me as an individual denying myself and taking up my cross. If there is no denial of myself and taking my, up my cross, then I can do all of those things and they don't make me a disciple of Jesus. And, 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 so, and so here, Jesus told us how to follow him. Finally, the third thing that I wanna share this morning is that Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is here and it is in the people of God. The very first chapter of Mark in verses 14 and 15, John the Baptist gets arrested and it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said very clearly at the beginning of his ministry that the gospel has arrived. The gospel is, I mean, that the, the kingdom of God has arrived, that it is already here. And it is contained within the people who have called Jesus Savior and King. Jesus is, is king over nature. We see that exhibited in the Gospel of Mark, that he is king over all spiritual beings. We see that in what it says that he did. He's king over sickness and over death. We see that over and over in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus tells parables about the kingdom, what the kingdom is compared to, what is it like, what is it like to be a kingdom citizen. And Jesus is portrayed as the Messiah sent by God to establish the kingdom of God, his reign and his rule over earth. Now, by defeating sin, and death, and later when he reestablishes that reign and rule over all the earth at his second coming. Jesus came first for sin and is coming again for judgment. 
That is the kingdom of God, that Jesus came already and he came and he dealt with sin and it is what we are, are called to do in our response to what he did and then he's coming again, but for judgment. And so in that middle part, that's where we live. That's why it's important for us to become disciples of Jesus Christ, denying ourselves and taking up our cross so that we can, we can call all people to Jesus that when he returns, that we have done a good job in setting things up for his return. During the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a British evangelist named Gypsy Smith. And uh, he held all kinds of evangelistic campaigns throughout Britain and throughout the United States. And he was asked once, how do you start revival? And his response was this, if you wanna start a revival, go home and get a piece of chalk. Go into your closet and draw a circle on the floor. Kneel down in the middle of the circle and ask God to start a revival inside that chalk mark. When he, God, has answered your prayer, then the revival has begun. The kingdom of God, revival, begins with me, it begins with you. It doesn't begin with telling your neighbor to behave. It doesn't begin with telling your nation what to do and what not to do. The kingdom of God is contained in and lives in and breathes through God's people. That where you are, that's where the kingdom of God is because Jesus raised from the dead. So wherever you go, you take that circle with you of the kingdom and you impact those around you. You see, the world, including the church, is addicted to fixing other people while each of us is full of offense to God and humanity and it's time that we begin with us. Because Jesus said, the kingdom is here and the kingdom is in you. If Jesus is in me, then the kingdom is in me. See, today on this day that we celebrate and remember our risen Savior and King, I wanna, I wanna give you something to do. I wanna give you a challenge, but I only want you to do this if you are serious about it. Because this isn't just symbolic, but this has consequence. As you leave today, of people handing out chalk. And I want you to go home and, and after maybe this week you, 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 you did bury your kingdom so that God's kingdom could, could fill your life. But go home and, and, and I want you to take this chalk and, and any, for anyone in your family who, who is serious about the kingdom of God and Jesus moving in our midst and preparing this place for the return of Jesus. Then I want you to go out and either on your driveway or your sidewalk in front of your house, I want you to draw a circle, and then I want you to get in that circle and I want you to pray that God would revive your heart, that he awakens your mind, and that he captures all of your passion. That he, your king, directs your thoughts and your actions to prepare this place 
for his return. This is about you, not your neighbor, not your nation, but you. This isn't about just adding Jesus to your dreams or your desires, but that you and I, like the disciples, dropped their nets at the call of Jesus, that we drop everything at the call to discipleship that Jesus gives us. I mean, just think about if, if today, if we went home and we, 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 we wrestled with God and, and then we went out and we drew a circle of chalk in our driveway or sidewalk and imagine those circles all over town and then imagine all of those circles circling every person who follows Jesus around the globe and you see this evidence, these giant, these, these shining lights of the kingdom of God in all kinds of places throughout our city and our country and the world that we see the kingdom of God living and breathing in God's people. Let us live boldly in the awareness that Jesus Christ lives and that he lives in his people. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and they're gonna lead us in a couple more songs. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior and certainly not as your king, I wanna ask you this morning, do you need to know him? <laughs> do you need to make a decision this morning to surrender your life to Jesus? And this is, it's as simple as this. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I know I'm not perfect, and I know I've wronged you and lots of other people. And that's my sin and I want to accept your forgiveness for my sin. I want you to forgive me, and I want you to help me to pursue you and help me to follow you and help me to become more like you because I can't do it on my own. I want you to be my savior, and I wanna live for you as king. It's as simple as that. So if you're here this morning and you have recognized that you need Jesus in your life, then just talk to him right now. And after the service, we'll have the prayer team up here and around the, the room. And they'd love to hear about your business with Jesus. Or if you want somebody to talk you through this, any of them would be so privileged to talk you through what it looks like to give your life to Jesus. Because you see, we as God's people, as disciples of Jesus, we are the setup crew. And our main job is to set this place up for the return of Jesus, for that event when Jesus comes back it's time for us to, to bring out the tables, to, to put the tablecloths on, to set those tables and have everything ready for Jesus' return because he's coming back and Jesus wants us to let as many people know that he's coming back as possible because Jesus wants them to be part of the celebration. And so we, as the kingdom of God set up crew, we're called to ready this place for the risen and reigning Jesus 
to return to this place and make everything right. Jesus, we come before you today and I thank you so much for what you've done. The great cost of laying down your life. I pray for those this morning who, who need to make a decision about Jesus. Whether they're here in the room or they're, they're in their own homes or, or, or somewhere else. God, I, I pray that you would move them to do it. God, I pray for those of us who need to recognize that your kingdom and revival starts with our willingness to deny ourselves and take up our cross. God, that as many of us go home today and, and think about what we've heard and maybe draw circles on our driveways or the sidewalk, that God, we would, we would seriously lay ourselves down and ask you to start with us, to reveal the things that are wrong, the, the things that are that are broken, and God, that we would hand those things over to you and we would live as these circles of light in this place, in this world, knowing, God, that our life, our best life is not today, but it is waiting for us upon Jesus' return. And that we could be setting this place up for those who have not yet come in anticipation of Jesus' arrival. So I thank you for these things. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.